I've enjoyed this entire weekend. This conference is a highlight of the year. If you come with an open heart and with a, with a hungry soul to be filled, there is something to receive. There are some things over the course of the last few days that you know, have been slipping in my life that I was charged to pick back up and to get going again. There were some things that I was charged to continue on in that, that okay, things are going well, let's go. And then there were a few things that uh, were presented that, hey, this would be a good thing to start all together. So there, there's a, a whole variety of things uh, that, that are presented over the last couple of days. But the key of it all is your individual willingness to follow the leading of the Spirit of God. You can listen to good teaching, you can listen to good preaching until you're blue in the face and the preacher is blue in the face. But if your heart is not determined to be open to the Spirit's voice and then to step out in obedience to follow Him, you'll never receive any good from anything. And so I hope that your heart has been stirred and I hope that as you go throughout the next few days and on to the next few weeks that you will be obedient to what it is that the Spirit is calling you out to do, that He is, that he is uh, prompted in your heart to do and that you will be able to live victorious in the days that are ahead. Well, Luke chapter number 15 is where I'll invite you to turn today. Luke chapter 15. And I referenced this passage briefly yesterday in, in my portion of the teaching. And I just kind of want to expound a little bit on that thought. We didn't uh, really dive very deep into that uh, in the teaching yesterday. And uh, to be honest, the, the message that I feel the Lord has given tonight is really not on this thing of celebration. Um, I, I, don't, I don't intend to, to dive back into that, uh, but there was something in this text that the Lord drew my heart and my attention to that, that is sort of an all-encompassing truth from all that we have heard uh, in this entire process of the way of holiness. This weekend uh, has been you know, our way of holiness conference, so with that comes that heavy emphasis on what that way is. And I, and I love what has been messaged so many different times. Holiness and wholeness are, are, are one and the same. As we become more holy, more, more consecrated, more purified, more set apart, more Christ-like, we will in turn become more whole. We will become more complete. Back to our original created position. What God has always intended for mankind to be is holy. Is whole and we are broken but... Through the transforming power of Jesus, we can be returned back to what it is that God intended for us to be. And that's what this way of holiness is, that, that way of pursuing after Jesus, of, of following in His footsteps, and allowing that transforming work of the Spirit to come into our life. Well, as we see in Luke 15, and as you see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus led a very countercultural life. He did not follow the, the standard operating procedures of the world. If Jesus were walking on the earth today, a phrase would be used by him that Jesus marched to the beat of his own drummer. I mean, he wasn't concerned with what society said was culturally acceptable. He wasn't concerned with what religion said was culturally acceptable. He was only concerned with what the Father said was acceptable. And so long as he had the green light from the Father, what anybody else's opinion was did not matter to him. And he marched boldly in that, and he walked confidently in that, and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because it wasn't normal. That was kind of a taboo way of living. He did things that everybody else said, you can't do that. 
What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? You, 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 can't, you can't be with those people. You, you, can't, you can't eat with them. You can't, you can't let women travel with you. You, you. you can't do all this stuff, Jesus. Don't you know? Jesus was never concerned, never phased by any of that. Why? Because he knew what was the right way to be living. And he instructed others and brought them in that way. And we find one of such examples of this in Luke chapter number 15. I'll draw your attention to verse number 1, where the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. The scribes and the Pharisees got upset, not at Jesus' teaching, although we know multiple times they got in a tizzy over that. They got upset not because of, of what he was specifically doing, but rather how it was he was investing his time. The fact that he would defile himself with the, 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 the base of society. The ones that offered no value. The ones that were dirty and that were unclean. I mean, after all, Jesus, you're claiming to be the Messiah. After all, you've got all these followers up in a frenzy that you are the deliverer of Israel. And with that means you're going to bring us into the overthrow of Rome. You're going to reestablish us. And you're wasting your time with publicans and sinners. That doesn't advance the cause. Jesus, don't you know you should be rubbing elbows with those that can help to fulfill your mission? You know, Jesus, important people. People that aren't unclean like these people are. You should be better, making better use of your time. And Jesus spake this parable unto them, saying, Now, we're going to jump into these. He, he gives three parables right here. And for sake of time tonight, we can't dive into the, full, the whole chapter, but we're just going to deal with the first two that he gives here. But Jesus takes the accusation of the Pharisees, and in so doing, has a wonderful opportunity to teach to all mankind just how God views things. And one thing that will come from part of this transformation as a result of walking in this way of holiness, there are all sorts of results, but we're just going to hone in on one tonight. One thing that will come is that we will be transformed in the way that we view things. More specifically, in the way that we view people. Listen to the parables that Jesus gives, starting in verse number 4. He says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, 
For I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. As we're looking at how our view will change, as we get more of the mind of Christ, as we are transformed more into the image of Jesus, we will change our view and how we view the value of the individual person. The value of the individual person. Most recent tally that I was able to find is that there are roughly about 7.8 billion people on the planet right now. 7.8 billion people. The world operates in a big picture mentality. The Pharisees operated in a big picture mentality. The Messiah is going to come and lead the whole nation. The Messiah doesn't have time to dawdle around in just insignificant people. He's got bigger things to do. The world says, hey, everybody, everything, the big group, one person is irrelevant. And Jesus takes this opportunity to literally, for all that are listening, one of the tenets of this week, one of the points of this week, has been shrinking our world. Jesus shrinks the world of everybody that is listening because He takes their eyes off of everything and focuses in onto a... a a more manageable number. A hundred. He says, all right, which of you having a hundred sheep, we can operate in terms of a hundred. That's still a big number, but it's more feasible than the entire world. So Jesus says, all right, which of you having a hundred sheep loses one of them and won't go and search diligently after the one until you find him and restore him to the fold? And when you do, you're going to rejoice over that. There's celebration that comes in that. Because you have found the one that has been lost. You have restored him back to his place. What is he teaching? What is he emphasizing? He is showing the value of the one. Then he takes it a step further when he gives an illustration of the lady that's got ten coins. Again, ten coins, most of us have ten coins in our pocket. Well, maybe not now. We live in a cashless society, so you might have to really look hard to find ten coins. But we understand that concept. Again, the values and, and the monetary values of the ten coins versus our current currency, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can take this, but the bottom line is everybody had seen ten coins. And so he is continuing to, to narrow down on, on just how important the one is in comparison to the whole. He says this lady loses one coin and cleans her entire house diligently until she finds the one that she's lost. She could have said, well, at least I still have nine others. The shepherd could have said, at least I still have 99 others. I've got more important things to do right now. But they don't. Why? Because one matters. One of the greatest lies that the enemy wants to present all of mankind is you don't matter. You are irrelevant. You are just one of billions. You don't matter. Jesus, his entire life exemplified that he thought of the individual above everything else. He is intimately concerned with each and every person. Oh, I know, God so loved the world. He absolutely cares about the entire world. 
But we do realize that the world is made up of individuals. And Jesus is teaching. He's saying, look, 99 sheep were left for a little while so that the shepherd could go find the one. I was doing a little bit of looking this afternoon and and researching that out a little bit more, and I came across an article that somebody had written that that I had never thought of in light of this parable. They said that in this culture, as Jesus was speaking here in Luke chapter number 15, there is a verse that would have resonated in the minds of these Jewish believers who knew the law and the prophets inside and out. And we use the verse a lot. It's Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the guy that was writing this said... As Jesus spoke these words and gave the illustration about 99 righteous were left, one had gone astray, they would have remembered this verse of all we like sheep have gone astray. And Jesus was pointing out that, listen, just so you know, there are no righteous. There are no 99. Everybody is the one. Everybody is the one that is in need of the shepherd to come and find them. And when we have that transformation in our viewpoint, it impacts us in two ways. First of all, it impacts how we deal with other people. It gives us a little bit more patience when our brother and our sister is, well, can I say, irritating, frustrating, aggravating. Why? Because we know... They matter to God so much. God values them greatly. And because of that value that they carry, I am going to make sure that I do not allow my flesh, my pride, my arrogance. I will make sure that I do not allow the voices of the enemy to come into my life and cheapen the way that I view this person, my brother, my sister, because I am angry, because I am frustrated. The second way that having this transformation in our view will impact, it will impact the way that we view ourselves. Boy, I'm telling you what. If you've never had the wonderful struggle and the wonderful opportunity to wrestle with your own self-worth, well, hallelujah. But for those of us that have, that that are well aware of the ways that we fail God, that are well aware of our own unworthiness of God's favor and of God's love. To know that people as vile and dirty and sinful as us have been loved so greatly by God, to be solidified of this fact is to have a counterattack when the enemy comes to whisper to you, see, you're nothing. See, you're a failure. See, you're vile. Nobody cares. There may not be another red-blooded person alive on this planet that genuinely cares about you. And that in no way, shape, or form impacts one iota the way that God cares about you. And being solidified in that fact can give me the strength 
to continue on in what God has called for me to do. But that only comes by walking in this way of holiness. By growing and deepening in our walk with the Lord, in our relationship with Him. So long as we wander about in the world, entangled in the affairs of this world, groping around in the darkness of this world, we're not able to hear the voice of the shepherd that says, I love you, I care for you, I'm here for you, you matter to me. Closer that we walk next to Him. Oh, friend, the more that we can readily hear that voice that says, You are my beloved. You are the one that I came for. You are the one that I have chosen. You are the one that I have cared for. You matter to me. That changing of the view now enables me to better act out the way that I should. So this view will change our value of the individual person. It will also change our view of God's patience for the world. Anybody ever got frustrated on why somebody hasn't got what's coming to them yet? I have. There, there's, just, there's just some people that, that you just sit back and you wonder, how can they be the way that they are and nobody has popped them in the mouth yet? How, how is it that they can act that way and nothing's happened to them yet? But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then we get spiritual about it and we think, Lord, how come you haven't dealt with them yet? How are the wicked exalted? How are they still able to go about acting like this? Lord, where are you? Jesus says where he is. Look back in this parable. What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? Verse number eight, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? You know why God hasn't brought down wrath, fire, and judgment on him yet? Because he is still sweeping and searching. He's still looking. He is still working. He is still drawing. Our timing is not his timing. We get in a hurry. We want vengeance. We want it now. We want that reckoning to come. We've been wronged. Somebody ought to make this right. The world's spiraling out of control. Somebody ought to correct this. The whole time the shepherd is out searching for those lost sheep, sweeping this corner over here, collecting a little bit up right now, looking for those. James and John, just a few chapters earlier. In fact, turn there. Turn back to Luke chapter number 9. Just a little while ago. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They said, nope, 
You're not welcome here. You're not coming. Keep moving. Verse number 54, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? James and John said, Jesus, they're not going to disrespect you. Let's bring down the hammer. You just give us the word. Boy, we'll call down fire, lickety-split. Nobody will be irreverent towards you ever again. Just give us the word. Look at the word that Jesus gave. Verse 55, But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Oh, we are so quick to want judgment to come. We are so quick to want to pass our own judgment, to fix things ourselves. Yet Jesus is saying, Easy, tiger. Calm down. I've got this. We know the end of the story. We know what happens in the book of Revelation. We know that Jesus is going to come, and He is going to bring judgment, and it is going to be swift, and it is going to be sure. We know that sin will not go unpunished. We know these things. What we have a hard time knowing is that now is not the time for that. Now is the time of grace. Now is the time where Jesus is still offering to bring people to Him to fix them, to get them back on the right path, to realign them with the Father, to give them the opportunity to be His brethren. You know, we sit back and we think, okay, all right, AP, I got you. No problem. We ought to be more patient with lost people. I hear you. I got you. But what about the Christian that knows better? What about the one that's already saved? He doesn't have any excuse, right? Tell that to Peter. Tell that to James and John in, verse, in chapter number 9. Tell that to John Mark started, that quit, and that got back in. Tell that to yourself. For how many times you have been going, got off, been going, got off, going, got off. Listen, we are in a time where if we would allow the Lord to transform our view of other people, you know what it would bring in us? Patience. Not acceptance of sin. Not a, well, it's okay. That's not what God has. God has long-suffering. God has the ability to say, I'm going to deal with this, but I'm going to continue to give grace. I'm going to continue to give time. That is what the change of you will bring to us. I love that all of this has come. You know, we had the, the mission trip uh, to New York City in July. 
to have the opportunity to, to engage with those that I'm just going to be honest with you. Not too long ago, I would have had a very, very, very hard time ministering to out of my own pride, out of my own preconceived notions, out of my own judgmental attitude. It takes the transforming work of Jesus to be able to look at people living in blatant sin and go, Lord, it's their own fault. You know what Jesus says? I know. They're the sheep that wandered off. They're the prodigal son that snubbed their nose out of everything that God had ever given them and said, Nope, I want to do my own thing. Jesus says, I know what they are. They're the ones that I have come to bring healing to. I've not come for the just. I've not come for the well. I've come for the sick. I've come to call the unrighteous to repentance. When we have this change of view, it will impact our view of God's patience for the world. And then the last one that we see out of here. It will change our view of the value of the individual person. It will change our view of God's patience for the world. But it will also change our view of our role in the story. So go back. The shepherd goes. He looks after. He finds the lost sheep. Verse number 6. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Then the woman looking for the coin, she finds it in verse number nine. When she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You remember what Jesus called his disciples? He did not call them servants. He did not call them laborers. He called them friends. You know the ones who should be rejoicing when the wandering sheep has come home? You know the ones who should be rejoicing when the lost coin is found? You know the ones who should be in the father's household rejoicing when the prodigal comes home? It ought to be us. We get our role wrong so many times. We think we're supposed to be seekers. I got, I, we're looking for the lost people. We're looking for the lost people. All right, I got to find the lost people and I got to bring them back to the fold. That's not our job. I'm not the shepherd. We think, all right, I, I got to be cleaning house. I got to be looking for those coins to bring them back to where they need to be. I need to be searching for the prodigal. That's not our role. It's not our job. My role is to stay close to the shepherd. My role is to abide in Him, to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And if I'm able to be a, a signpost to help point a lost sheep back into the direction of the fold, wonderful. If my life is able to be a, a light 
that kind of illuminates a lost coin. Wonderful. That's what we're supposed to be. Lights in the darkness. But it's not my job to save anybody. It's not my job to convince anyone to come to Jesus. I can't do that. But I can get in on the celebration when Jesus does the work that He has come to do. I can get in on the celebration when my brother or my sister who has gone astray comes back and makes things right, gets plugged back in. I can offer forgiveness and I can rejoice and I can celebrate saying, thank God Jesus is still doing His work. I can be there when the prodigal comes back says, I don't belong here. I'm no more worthy to be called a son. I, I should just be a servant. I can be somebody that says, no, you're back in your place. you where you need to be. Let's rejoice. This is a great day. But if our view is not right, we don't do that. We have too much of that pharisaical viewpoint. Jesus, what are you doing wasting your time with them? They've sat in church for 20 years. They ought to know better by now. Jesus, why are you wasting your time? Look at the world. Look at all the junk that's going on everywhere. This is a sinking ship, Jesus. Why don't you just focus on the ones that have already given their life to you? Aren't you glad to know that Jesus didn't leave you when you were on the sinking ship? See, that transformation of our view impacts our entire life. Now, all of a sudden, I have the patience to say, Okay, Lord, whatever it is you're doing, I accept that. Whatever role that I play in this, wonderful. And I'm going to rejoice to know that you are still at work in this world today. I am going to rejoice in knowing that I am serving the shepherd that is still finding his sheep that loves us deeply. Now, all of a sudden, rather than our heart and our life being filled with aggravation and agitation and frustration and anger and bitterness and malice and all of the things that shouldn't be part of us, now we will find the ability to live with peace and joy and love. Oh, that doesn't mean we won't get aggravated with people. Jesus got aggravated with his disciples. How many times have I told you guys this? Do I got to keep telling you the same thing? Oh, but there was a whole, there, there was a big difference in the way that Jesus gets aggravated with those that he loves and the way that we get aggravated with those that we love. There is a purity, there is a perfection, and it comes and it is offered to all of us if we will yield ourselves to this transforming work of the Spirit. So as we prepare to go into a time of prayer and invitation, I want to ask you this question. What is your viewpoint? Where do you identify that you see things? But the Corey, if I'm being honest with you, I've still got a little bit of a Pharisee in me. That's okay. Because Christ desires to transform that out of you. He wants to give you that renewed mind, that renewed vision, that new way of seeing things. 
Maybe say, Brother Corey, I, I, I desire this, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm good with it, but, but sometimes I still find myself drawn to things. Then perhaps you need to be seeking after the Spirit. Lord, what is it that I need to remove so that I can keep my view where it needs to be? What is it that is distracting me from having the right view? Maybe you say, Brother Corey, I'm on the right path, but I'm afraid that I, that I might slip. Then draw close to Jesus and asking Him to strengthen you to continue to grow and to develop and to become whole as you become holy with Him.